0: Lots of things on this little pulpit here. Uh, Give me a second. Yay, it balanced, good. Good morning. Uh, Quick introduction, my name is Greg Strawn. I'm preaching this morning because unfortunately, Kyle Williams got the nasty stomach bug. And uh, sorry for him. Give me a moment to introduce myself. I was uh, on staff at Circle Church of Christ in Corvallis for 38 years. And uh, thank you so much for being a congregation that supports our UCC campus ministry. Jason and some students were here recently, or Jason, that's a different campus ministry, minister. Josh and some students who were here a few weeks ago. Lighten up folks, you're making me nervous. You're way too quiet. And uh, uh, so thank you for supporting our ministry. I retired August 2019. Unfortunately, December 2020, my wife died from a very rare neurological disease, which obviously was a overwhelming shock, but I am delighted to say that I married a member of this congregation, Jennifer, yay, <laughs> January 15th of this year, and so thank you for uh, taking care of her over recent years, and thank you for allowing me to to be with you. Uh, It's been a privilege to sit under the preaching of Chris and Kyle, and so uh, here I am today. Thanks for allowing me this this opportunity. So this morning we continue our look at Jesus' parables, and you heard the reading a moment ago from Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 35, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the best-known parables of Jesus, so well known that it even has roots, or it even has some uh, Uh, there's ways in which culturally you say good Samaritan, and there are people who would, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's good to be a good Samaritan. It's good to care for people when they're in need. And I think there's even things like good Samaritan laws. So if you try to help and you don't do it perfectly, you're not as liable to be sued. That's my layman's understanding at least. And if I wind up in one of those situations, I hope I'm correct. But uh, let's just just take a step back for a minute from the Bible, and let's just kind of wander around for a minute, because years ago, my niece, small child, went to Wednesday night Bible class, and after it was all over, I asked her, so what did you talk about? and She said, oh, there was a man, and he was dead, and he was very, very dead. But then somebody came along and put him on the donkey and took him away, and that was... Yeah, that was her understanding of the Good Samaritan parable. You know, what she took away was that the guy was very dead, but somebody helped. Well, you know, on Friday, after I started thinking about this parable of the Good Samaritan, how about about this made-up telling of the parable? Made-up telling of the parable. A youth minister was traveling down the road of sermon preparation when he got beaten and punched in the gut by a nasty stomach bug. It knocked him to the ground. He thought he was gonna die. And he knew that there was no way he was gonna be able to preach on Sunday. So in my imaginary world of makeup parable of the Good Samaritan, somehow the Pope in Vatican City heard about this poor guy who's gonna need a substitute preacher. And the Pope says, "Mm, (laughs) No thanks. I don't want to go and get stomach flu, only he said it in Latin, right? He said it in Latin, he said, Noah's Gois to sick as Kyle. You don't speak Latin, do you? <laughs> I'm trying my best, folks. Hang in there. Okay. And through the magic of made up stories, the most famous preacher in Churches of Christ, there's no place to put stuff. There. Okay. Better. (laughs) You want to run slides? Because I forget, and I'll point to you and you can run. Okay. I'm doing my best, folks. Now, what prompts Jesus to tell the parable? We're looking at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Matthew, Mark, Luke, there it is. Chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. We'll click slides. Who is my neighbor? You see, the expert in the law is much more interested in testing Jesus than taking Jesus' teaching to heart. Man says, love God, love neighbor. I know that's the path to eternal life. And Jesus confirms, yeah, that's right, that's true. So the expert pushes harder. And who is my neighbor? You know what he's really trying to do here? Verse 29 the man wanted to justify himself. Loaded language. He wants the circle of neighbors to be as small as possible. If love your neighbors yourself is crucial, the law expert wants this, who is my neighbor? He's asking, who do I have to care about? I mean, I don't wanna have to care about those guys who can I exclude from the circle of concern? That's what he's really asking. So Jesus throws this expert in the law, the nastiest curveball that you have ever tried to hit, because Jesus flips this thing upside down. He asks the question at verse 36, and I expect Jesus to ask the question, now, Who was the neighbor who needed someone to love him? And that's going to be the easy answer for the expert in the law. Well, the poor guy who's beaten and bloodied and down on the road. That won't demand one more ounce of care and compassion from the expert in the law. But that's not what Jesus asks. Instead, Jesus asks, which of you, these three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And a Samaritan is an absolute enemy to the expert in the law, in his mind. He doesn't belong in the circle. And you can hear this expert's teeth grit, and, and you can just smell the anxiety in the air as he finally has to say, the one who had mercy on him. <laughs> he won't even say the Samaritan. He won't even say that. It's just the one who had mercy on him. Who is your S- Samaritan? Samaritan. Who belongs outside your circle of care and concern? Who, lo- who belongs outside your answer to the neighbor you need to love? Well, you know, that woman, it seems like she's always in need. I think it's just because she's lazy. I think it's just because she's lazy. At Circle Church for many years, we did an annual clothing giveaway, and there was one woman that I met one evening and I was chatting with her. Turned out she worked at Hewlett Packard. And at Hewlett Packard, somebody like Stofers takes care of the food service for the employees, and she worked in the food service. And she told me, I work six days a week, but I always come here to get school clothes for my kids. Lazy? Doesn't look like it to me. She just happens to work in the part of the corporation where you don't get paid like an engineer. You get paid like somebody who's passing out food. Is she a neighbor? Some of us are old enough to still have a little residual racism. Some of us grew up in a world where we heard the N-word tossed about. And we wish it didn't hide out in the corners of our mind, but there are moments when... It's interesting, moving to McMinnville, I'm noticing that this is kind of a area with a lot of brown-skinned people. Didn't realize that before I came here. And I guess I'm just starting to think about how can we be more open in this congregation to brown-skinned people. And I really think the beginning answer to that question is, you start in your neighborhood with the neighbor who's near you. And you begin to love that neighbor. Who's your Samaritan? Who is the person that you know that you need to expand your circle to, because so far you've kind of written them off as somebody who, I don't want those people to be my concern. Not that person. Nobody at work likes her. And Maybe you're the one who needs to love her. Well, Jesus highlighted the efforts of the Good Samaritan and said, go and do likewise. A little slide. My wife, Pam, was baptized into Christ in her early 20s. There are people who are members of this congregation who helped her come to faith. Um, God bless you, Nancy. And at one point after we were married, she told me, you know, I was going to do good things anyway. And I came to the conclusion, why not do good things and give God the glory? I liked that. You know, there's probably people here today who may not be Christian, and yet you, you, you feel great about doing good things. Why not do good things so that God gets the glory? Why not take that step closer to God? Becoming a Christian begins in trusting God, trusting that there is a God, and trusting that so much that you decide he is worthy of my life, my worship, my all, and I believe that Jesus is his son, and more than that, Jesus is going to be my Lord. And that will create a turn in your life where instead of only saying, it's all about me. If I want it, I do it. If I don't, forget it. Turning to Jesus as Lord is bowing the knee before him and saying, you say it, I accept it. You want it, I do it. Repentance. And one of the things that's a really beautiful thing is you take the relationship God offers by being baptized into Christ. You know, the the man asks, what must I do for eternal life? Love God, love neighbor. Perfect answer. But then Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead. And God created this beautiful image of baptism where we identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. It's as if old self is killed so brand new life can begin. And I guarantee you, there are people who need new life, want new life. I may be speaking about you. If that's the case, when we sing the next song, I'll be sitting up here, or I guess standing up here. Just come and find me. Or catch me before you leave today. You got questions about how to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, you, you just want to share some things, you catch me, we'll talk. I'll listen. But see, I think it's wonderful to live a life of doing good and God getting the glory. <laughs> well, if the Scripture stopped right there, we would have a great reminder to love your neighbor as yourself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, if being a disciple of Jesus is only about staying endlessly busy at service, doing the Good Samaritan thing hour after hour after hour, every day, every month, every year, Martha should be our hero. Martha should be held up as a model Christian. But when Martha says, Sister Mary, she should be busy too, Jesus says, no. What? What? We just read the Good Samaritan and Look back to that opening dialogue between the law expert and Jesus, and they both agree on what you should be doing if you want to seek eternal life. It's verse 27 that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Two commands. Love God, love neighbor. Two commands. As excellent as it is, to serve like the good Samaritan and to love neighbor, that's not the only thing to pursue if you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Mary has this rare opportunity, no less than sitting at the feet of God. Sitting at the feet of the rabbi. I mean, Jesus won't always be at her house. Jesus won't always be on earth. And Mary is in this posture, this position of a learner. She's making the very most of this unique moment when she can be close to the teacher and drink in every word that he has to say. Because someday she's going to be one of those early followers of Jesus telling about, and I was sitting at his feet and this is what he said and and my brother was dead and he came to our house and he said, I'm the resurrection and the life and he made my brother live and... As important as it is to love your neighbor and be an active servant, Mary has correctly discerned that it's also right to take time and sit at the feet of God. So, sometimes you should be the good Samaritan and sometimes you should be the good sitter. Sometimes you should be the good Samaritan and sometimes you should be the good sitter. Because we're called not only to love neighbor, but to love God. Well, now for a minute, put yourself in the place of the man in the parable, the man who got beaten and bloodied, the man who got injured, the man who's traveling east from Jerusalem, downhill to Jericho, down in the, the valley, and he fell into the hands of robbers. And I, I, I don't know, but... Imagine with me that for a moment you're this beaten and bloodied man, okay? And in my imagination, he's at least semi-conscious, and he notices someone has stopped, but he has no clue why. Why is this person stopped? Uh, I, I, I look at the appearance and the clothing and... Mm, Samaritan. And recognize it's not just that the Jews hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans are hardly warm towards the Jews in response. And here's this guy, and he looks to me like he's a Samaritan, and what's his intent? Why did he stop? Is he going to finish me off? Beat me to death? I mean, for just a moment, does the man see the Samaritan? And even though he's in this incredibly weak condition, does does, does he see the Samaritan? I don't want him to help me. Would you let the Samaritan help you? (laughs) Let me ask the question again, who is your Samaritan? It means a little different this time, doesn't it? Who are you willing to let in your life to let close enough to help you? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes I notice in the life of the church, and maybe it's an American style or something, but sometimes I notice in the life of the church that's a little too far. Let's go back one. There it is, perfect. Thanks, Michael. I'm terrible at running the things, so thank you, friend. I don't know what it is, but I notice in the life of the church that sometimes we're incredibly slow to ask for your help. And sometimes even if a person comes to us and offers to help, no, I'm okay. Actually, you're beaten and bloodied and about ready to have your arms and legs fall off because you've taken such a hit in life. No, I'm okay. What is that? Are we afraid the people sitting around us are a bunch of Samaritans? Can't trust that person. Is that that what's behind it? Oh, I'm fine. What if we opened our hearts all the way to be able to say, I have brothers and sisters here and it doesn't matter when I need help. I'm going to say, help me. Can you imagine what that would do to the intensity of connections within this body? Amen. I noticed that this congregation has lots of extended family ties. In some ways, that's really beautiful. I'm not used to that. That's very different from congregation I've been in. To have biological family that are also your brothers and sisters. But I hope that doesn't leave you slow to ask for help from people who aren't inside the bio, your biological family. I hope it doesn't make you slow to say, yeah, there's a newcomer, but I don't know him or her. I've got my comfortable relationships. One of the challenges in a congregation with lots of comfortable relationships is when the new kid on the block comes to town, it's like, there's no room. And recently there was this Saturday morning event with John Reed about accepting guests, accepting guests, accepting guests. One of the things he didn't talk about is the reality that that probably means you're going to have to make some room for people if they're really going to belong in the congregation. And I'm not stomping on your toes. Don't hear it that way at all. I think it's beautiful to have extended families. I'm just saying there's another layer you can add. Room for other people. Oh, Greg, where are you coming from? Okay. There's a Chinese woman who started coming to our life group and eventually uh, wound up in a Bible study, and shortly before they moved away from Corvallis, she was baptized into Christ. So we did the research, found a congregation in Minnesota where they were moving, said, here, you know, when you get there, go. And they did. The Chinese family showed up at that congregation but the congregation was all one family. And who are these Chinese people and what are they doing here? And there wasn't room for them to belong. I mean, she's been baptized into Christ a matter of days, weeks. Fortunately, the good thing is that they found Christian fellowship, but I was kind of disappointed that that congregation of Church of Christ people were so inward-looking that they couldn't look out and embrace the new folks. So that's all I'm saying. It's beautiful that you have these close, intimate, family, blood-family relationships, but don't let that prevent you from having your eyes and arms open to the stranger who's going to come in, hopefully, looking for God. Is that fair? Is that reasonable? You can nod your head. Okay. I don't want to get in too much trouble. I mean, it's the first time I've preached here in quite a long time. You know, reality is you might look across the room and see some people and say, eh, not my age. Those people aren't my age. They're old. <laughs> uh, they're young. You know, as a matter of fact, I recognize that that, that person and I, we don't think, we have some different views on things. I don't know if I should trust that Samaritan. Now wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. What if you chose to be honest when you need that person to give you some help? You suppose that might bridge some gaps? Or suppose even better yet, you reached out to that person and you went to serve somebody else together. What might that do to the intimacy of this congregation? I'm just asking. One of the things I learned in grief counseling is when your spouse dies, there's a lot of people who want to help. And there are some people who have, they avoid you. Some people go silent because they don't want to say something stupid, which I appreciate that. But eventually you discover that the people around you are grieving too, and they hurt too. And if you're willing to allow them the opportunity to serve, it feels great to them. Because they can't bring that person back. And they can't fix you. but they can do something concrete. And you and they feel better in the process. What if this became a congregation where it was safe, regardless of who that other person was, to just say, help me, I wanna help you. What if this became a congregation where If you ever looked at somebody and first thought was, oh, that that guy's a Samaritan, but the very next thought was, a good Samaritan. What if? What if that? Well, we certainly looked a little farther than only the parable of the good Samaritan this morning. But I hope it will help you live as Jesus' disciple this week. That you will serve your neighbor and love your neighbor like the Good Samaritan did. But that you'll also sit at the feet of God like Mary did. And that you will stay in the habit of letting other people help you. Because if you pursue those courses... This body will be a better reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've only been around a short while, but I know you well enough to know that you'd love to look like Jesus. Am I right? Let's sing.